violence per se has never been my bag, except personally. But in pictures, as and I would like to uh, try to at least portray it on screen as it is. Uh, I've failed, and I've succeeded. pictures you talk about basically are morality plays. I've broken a lot of fences and noses. I just do the uh, best kind of a job I know how. And, uh, but there are certain people who are filmmakers and there are certain people who are not. That's all. For God's sake, hold your tongue and let me love, or chide my palsy or my gout five gray hairs or rude fortune flout it's the poetry of john dunn everybody who never heard of him oh. <laughs> welcome to the good the pod and the ugly we sat around and we talked and podcast i'm trying to do mike nichols oh that impression. was not a very good was it that was yeah that was- <laughs> <laughs> i tried to do because in the movie you know he has like the mannerisms and he's like this and it's like was he was he drunk while they were filming that or is he just like a really good actor he's a really good actor okay so today we're on your favorite podcast we got your three hosts we got me i'm jack and we got me i'm ken i am thomas and this is a uh, a special bonus episode for season seven which was supposed to, which is four by four, four films by four directors. That's 16 films total. But during the research for our, our final director, Mike Nichols, we came across a, a stage play and subsequent film version of um, Wallace Shawn's The Designated Mourner that he did in uh, 1995, 96. With the um, film release in uh, 97. Yeah, 96, 97. And uh, the stories behind it were so fascinating that we we decided to to buy a copy of it, watch it, and do an episode. I think all three of us were perhaps enamored by it, you might say. Enamored. And also, if you are listening to this, there's a really good chance that you've never heard of it. And, and definitely if, never seen it. <laughs> and if you go looking for it uh, on streaming services, uh, pirate services, uh, any service, really. You, it's you're nowhere. Not, it's nowhere. It's like been scrubbed from the internet pretty much, except for um, some fairly, fairly pricey DVDs. Yeah, we, we got a fairly inexpensive. I think it was only 15 bucks. Really? Okay. Plus like $4 postage. So it was about 20 bucks. Well worth it. $4 postage. And this, this was a DVD that was made in 1997. And it, it looks like it still has a little, the clasp and the, the graphics on the menu <laughs> screen. It's like GeoCities. Well, um, unlike whenever I bought Effort Fake, Orson Welles Effort Fake from some uh, early days of the internet retail and received it and didn't have the last like 30 minutes of the film. What? Which made me wonder, like, oh, that's that's really clever because it's a movie about counterfeiting. Uh, <laughs> and I just bought a counterfeit copy of this film. Wow. That's amazing. That's meta. Yeah. But also what's amazing is Nichols' performance in this three-person play. Mm-hmm. Yes. Astonishing. Yeah. So th- what really made me interested in this was you... Kenneth were claiming that other people were claiming that this is one of the best performances ever. And I was like, I was like, 
It was it was Meryl Streep. Like, what does she know? What does she know? Right. Well, yeah. uh, also at his uh, funeral, I believe uh, Mike Nichols' funeral um, from Deer Hunter. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Also, the Fat Boy Slim Chris video. Peter Walken. Walken uh, also claimed uh, that it's one of the best performances he's ever seen, and he watches it regularly. Wow. Yeah. And he also got away with murder. Yeah. Natalie Wood. Yeah. R.I.P. He he probably felt an affinity for the character Nichols was playing, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but yeah, watching it, I think it's safe to say that it is one of the best performances ever. And really sad that it's so like under underseen, underrated, perhaps. It is. And there there are, are people like Christopher Walken and Meryl Streep who claim to have, have studied it to see where the acting was. Uh, and you know, to, to find where the bits of business that actors usually do are, because if you've, what, what I saw fascinating about this movie is I watch a lot of Mike Nichols, um, interviews after, um, showings of his older films. And then they have the Q and a and the discussion afterwards. Uh, I've watched a couple documentaries on him and the line between him just talking and telling anecdotes. He's a very genial, warm, urbane man and him talking in this play there there's you you cannot see any difference from it It just seems like that's who he is um but as the play goes on the character he's playing uh uses that to you know pretty stunning results yeah yeah and wallace sean in the i don't know if you listened to the commentary um on that dvd i think it was its only special feature but uh was saying that he had written the part for nichols like uh, he didn't really have that character of Jack until he had started to write in Nichols' cadence and voice, right? Which is interesting because um, Mike Nichols had only really—I think he had prior to Nichols and May—he'd done a little bit of stage acting, but the only thing he had done in like the past what thirty years prior to this, yeah, uh, was that production of Who's Afraid of Virginia with with Elaine May. Yeah, that was cut short because he got pneumonia. Yeah, according to the uh, biography, uh, Mike Nichols, A Life by Mark Harris, uh, Nichols said, I want to do something scary, something that can't do me any possible good. I can't go skydiving or climb Apinura, but I can do this. So uh, apparently, yeah, he was concerned that he might not have all of his lines. So he had an earpiece mm-hmm. during the live performances in case. Because uh, about, what would you guess, 75% of this uh, play is Nichols talking. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so initially after Wallace Shawn, do you, do you have any background on Wallace Shawn? You may... Oh, a little bit. People listening will definitely know him from a few of his performances or voice performances. Yeah, he's a actor, comedian, and playwright. I think he originally got his start as um, a playwright, and he wrote some some pretty outrageous, uh, sort of shocking stuff to try to get his foot in the door and get his name out there. And he worked a lot with uh, his good friend Andre Gregory, and they had a sort of life-changing conversation in the late 70s or early 80s, I think. And they used that as the basis to write the screenplay for the film My Dinner with Andre, which is one of my personal favorites. I've seen it uh, quite a few times. Directed by? Uh, Louis Mal. Louis Mal. Best action figures also. From a- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and that film is um, 
kind of very similar to this in a, in a lot of ways where it's just, it's one room and it's sort of a conversation between two people that's uh, dominated by one person for most of the film. And yeah, I don't know, watching, going into Designated Mourner, I sort of, I sort of felt, I knew that it would be similar, but I didn't think he could outdo himself. But I think, I think he might've, I think that Designated Mourner is as good, if not better than my dinner with Andre. Well, the other side of that, though, Jack, is um, Wallace Shawn, uh, I mean, his dad was a prominent literary figure uh, with The New Yorker, if I remember right. Uh, But he also bridged that high and low brow. I mean, you might consider Princess Bride low brow, but I think a lot of people would probably put Star Trek Deep Space Nine in that category or Young (laughs) Sheldon. Yep, definitely. Uh, yeah, Princess Bride is his most famous performance, and inconceivable. I believe he. The story is he got that role because the casting director loved how he pronounced that word in My Dinner with Andre <laughs> so much, and it is it is his line delivery of that word is pretty great. So, and you might also know him from a very brief early performance as one of the accountants in All That Jazz. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, one of our favorites. So. After he had written the play, as Thomas said, he wrote it with Mike Nichols' um, very familiar cadence and bearing in mind, um, that he wrote him and invited him to to do the reading. So they did the reading with uh, Julianne Moore and Mark Strand as the other two characters, just like around a table and doing a reading. Uh, And then afterwards, uh, Sean's girlfriend, Deborah Eisenberg, brought up that he should do it, do it like on the, not just a reading, but the actual production. Mm. And uh, one of Nichols, um, Nichols would only do it if it was in London. He didn't want to do it in New York. He was kind of the uncrowned King of Broadway and he wanted it. Like Thomas said, something a little scary, but I I think he felt that he was too close to Broadway as a stage director. um, And he wanted to do it somewhere where there was less pressure maybe. Hmm. Um, and that's one, also one of the reasons why he never took it to America uh, in the play. He just left the the production in London and never did wow. it again. Wow, that's interesting because I don't know if uh, Americans would would get it. You think? I think I think maybe so. Yeah, reading about why uh, kind of what Wallace Shawn thought about. Well, maybe I guess maybe we should go over just briefly like what the plot of the movie oh, actually. You know is what? I have people that don't. I have a great. Great description okay. by the, the late, great, and very missed Roger Ebert. Wait, he reviewed this? Yeah. What? Yeah. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. What did, he, how, did he give it stars? or? Uh, he gave it uh, three out of four. Uh, yeah. Three people sit behind a table furnished with papers, pencils, cups of water, books. They talk sometimes to us, rarely to another, mostly to themselves or for the record. Most of the talking is done by Jack played by Mike Nichols, a loquacious journalist who was once married to Judy, played by Miranda Richardson, the daughter of an intellectual named Howard, played by David DeKaiser. In the unspecified country where they live, a totalitarian regime swept away those who thought too much, finding such people dangerous, and Judy and Howard were among the victims. This is not the sort of film where it matters that I reveal such details. So, spoiler alert after the fact. Jack is left behind the designated mourner for a very special way of life that died. Wow. Uh, pretty good. One of the brilliant thing, one of the many brilliant things about this is 
that, yeah, it doesn't specify the country or who the intellectuals were or who the ruling regime is or what ideologies the revolutionaries might follow versus the totalitarian government. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting that it doesn't, I mean, it, you could kind of, you can make connections to real life, real life events and uh, revolutions and whatnot that have happened. Mm-hmm. Um like in China and whatnot, but yeah, the fact that it doesn't reveal pretty much anything and it all takes place in that, obviously in that one room is really, uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's strong, two strong pieces to it. Right. Uh, the first is, um, like in the Ebert review, uh, none of the characters necessarily interact with each other. There's maybe like three moments where they do, where it becomes a scene. And it's shot similarly. Yeah, we're looking down the barrel or that has just each character individually at the table. So you don't actually see the others typically in a shot. So, but each one isn't talking um, about some traumatic experience that they had with the revolution. The revolution doesn't even really come in. Like all the seeds are being planted and all Mm -hmm. the um, seemingly like intrigue, talk of murder, talk of uh, revenge, uh, the... uh, Jack, the Mike Nichols character, talks about having his dick out a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you don't quite get the revolution until about halfway through, even like mentions of it starting to happen until about halfway through. Instead, you yeah. open with the title somewhat being explained, and then which will come back in the, uh, the last few minutes of the play, which uh, Jack is the person who's talking the most, uh, is, considers himself the designated mourner, but you're not sure for what or why. And uh, as you receive the other two characters, as they start to show up and uh, are interspersed, you start to uh, understand that the uh, Judy, the daughter of Howard and wife of Jack, um, isn't necessarily happy in her marriage and idolizes her dad, Howard. And Howard doesn't think much of Jack. And so you have this dynamic going on. But Jack doesn't care so much about high society, admits that he never really understands uh, poetry. He's not able to pick up Jack Dunn or John Dunn um, and really read it or appreciate it the same way that Howard does. Mm. And so all that's being littered in the beginning, but you're not sure what the, the table setting is if you've never seen the play or had a spoiler on a podcast. <laughs> uh, but, you know, th- there, there, are, there are hints through the first part of the play that something is going on far, far away. Or has um, happened. That some of these might, that they might be ghosts or people speaking from the dead. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing uh, about the play is that the play, of course, is for the highbrow people. Like, uh, and it's directed to them, right? Like, it, the, the scary part isn't, uh, wouldn't play the same if nobody knew who, who John Donne was the poet in the audience. I don't know. I didn't. Um, I didn't either. I mean, once I, I still once, don't, once I Googled him, I said, Oh, it's, it's, it's that guy. Yeah. So his, his performance, um, I'm going to quote from, um, life isn't everything. Mike Nichols as remembered by 150 of his closest friends from the Vancouver community library. Shout out. No. Boo. Um, don't go there. Cynthia O'Neill is speaking of when she saw the play. And she says, Mike walked out on the stage and started talking. I thought he was just making an announcement or something. I had no idea the play had started because it was so real. 
Whoa. And I think that that's a good description of how Nichols uh, approaches addressing us. It's just like he's just talking to us and he's a very magnetic patrician urbane um, delivery. And, and you're just kind of swept into what he is saying. Yeah, I think the word they often use the word like loquacious, right? Or just he he speaks a lot of words in a sentence um, and kind of interrupts himself. And I did get like a Wallace Shawn vibe from that at first. Someone actually says that Sean has a similar, um, you know, highbrow, uh, urbane thing about him, but he plays it off because he's kind of a as a schlub. So it kind of yeah. works for him. Um, Nichols doesn't necessarily have that because he's not well. He's not schlubby like Wallace Shawn. <laughs> he's not highbrow or lowbrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of them gets away with it because uh, he looks like he's a man of the people, and the other one maybe not as much. I think a movie like this or a play like this or whatever, the dialogue is so great, but it is really only as good as the performance because you are sitting down to watch basically someone just talk for 90 minutes straight. And in this case, talk like directly at you. Uh And yeah, if he wasn't, if his performance was even just a little bit subpar, it would, uh, it would lose you. Cause it is, you know, it is a lot to ask of your audience to just listen to someone talk for, 90 minutes or two hours like my dinner with Andre or this podcast occasionally Occasionally. (laughs) way too much. But the, uh, the other interesting thing, I think with that Ebert review, if I remember right, um, was that he said that, uh, it'd do better as an audio book, which I vehemently disagree with. I do too. Yeah. Like Nichols emotes so well as does Miranda Richardson. Um, just uh, with all the, the, you know, the general stage direction, whatever they had, but also just embodying these characters. And he has like these little, I don't know, like Jewish quirks that look, they're just great um, on stage uh, as like a, as a storyteller mm-hmm. um, that everything seems natural. Like I can't imagine, like I, I, I assume that he had everything memorized that he wasn't being fed lines just because I can't imagine how you speak that quickly. And with that, much uh his modulation of voice and everything else that he's doing i can't imagine that 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 is not uh rehearsed backwards and forwards uh, for the actual theater production and they they um after the the run was over they all decided to do a film version and they shot in three days at pinewood studios very quick to kind of capture something i'm glad they did um but wallace sean talks about the the actual theatrical production when uh, Nichols is up there talking and he would actually react if someone in the audience like coughed, he would like gesture to them, not interrupting his dialogue, but gesture to them like, Oh, well, the same thing happened to you. Oh my God. That would be so stressful. If you were in the front few rows during that, <laughs> I'd be so stressed out. I wouldn't move at all. Right. But that's, that's part of his like just confidence in improv uh, DNA. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess, um, Whoopi Goldberg said a little bit of something like this, similar whenever she, in the uh, book, Michael, Mike Nichols, A Life, uh, available through the Montnomah County Library, shout out. Um, the, uh, yeah, sometimes uh, her performance would be 90 minutes, sometimes it'd be two hours. It just depends on what the audience is doing and how and the cadence that's necessary. The the director of the, the play and the movie, David Hare, is uh, well, well known, both as a playwright um, and as a director, both on stage and film, um, his, his filmography and theatrical 
it, it goes on for a mile. Um, he said of the uh, Mike Nichols performance, and this is from Life Isn't Everything, uh, there was absolutely no sense of it ever having been on the page. It was simply that Mike himself appeared to be thinking and therefore saying, and yet a less method actor I have never worked with in my life. It was an act of technique and concentration, and it's one of the most remarkable performances I've ever directed. When I asked him, how do you do that? He said, all the time I'm directing, I'm thinking, surely you can make it seem a little more as if it's you that's thinking this, not the author. Everything I do as a director is to try and make you believe that it's the character who's saying the thing and not the actor saying something that they've been given to say by somebody else. And Hare was, was not really ever able to... Uh, direct another actor to that place that um, it came fairly natural to Nichols, I guess. He says the only person that he ever um, had that sense of technical spontaneity was Sidney Pollack, of all people, hmm. director, actor, um, which I could actually see thinking of his performance in Eyes Wide Shut, one of his final performances yeah. amongst uh, others. Before he was killed. <laughs> he was killed? By the deep state. Oh, not Christopher Walken. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, there's a connection there. <laughs> yeah, it almost comes off like that's why in the beginning I sort of facetiously, long word, uh-huh. asked if he was drunk while they were filming this because his face is kind of like his face gets kind of red and he seems kind of like he's just talking and rambling and it's almost like he's had a few drinks. But I think he's probably just such a good actor that it comes off like that. And that's what you need the character to be as well, is somebody who has some intelligence, but isn't the um, herald, heralded Howard character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this is something interesting that I read because it, it takes me back to, uh, I guess, what you considered a dick move by Orson Welles. Harris said at one point, uh, and this is according to the other book that we're talking about, once I wanted him to do a line differently and he said, well... Why don't you do it the way you want it done? I walked over and what Wally describes as the longest 10 seconds of his life and did it. Mike said, oh, that's what you want? And did the line exactly as I had done it. It didn't bother him at all. He has no vanity as an actor. Wow. So I think as a, as a director on stage, he's able to bring, like, he, yeah, he understands that there's a vision and he just transformed himself to, to be able to do what was asked of him. Mm. And th- this would have been after the Birdcage, which was like one of his biggest hits that he had at that time in his career, and before one of his biggest flops, his biggest flops, Primary Colors. Um, so the the nineties creatively, um, boy, Birdcage is probably the one that stands out. Is, is it, it made a lot of money for a reason? It's a funny movie, right? Um, but he made some stinkers. And, and, um, this, this really stands out in that era for him. Um, even though he didn't direct it. Yeah. Here's something that bugged me the whole movie. Uh, did you guys get the feeling that he looked and sounded exactly like James Spader? I didn't. I'm glad you told me that after we watched it. (laughs) I'm sorry if that ruins it for you, but he had the same voice and like hair as James Spader playing Robert California in the office. Maybe that's what James Spader based Robert California on. I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. Huh? Office super fans. Let us know if you ever watch the designated mourner. Yeah. I'm sure there's lots of crossover there besides me. Probably you're the only one on the entire (laughs) planet. 7 billion people on this planet. You're the only one. 
Wow. Yeah, his performance is so, um, uh, I, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, sensuous isn't the right word, but it just kind of draws you in very early. Um, and early on, his kind of pushing back on the, the highbrow of his wife, Miranda Richardson, and her father, who wrote some things when he was much younger that gets him into trouble when he's older. Um, they're, they're kind of funny at first, and it isn't until the, the devastating final act after um, Howard and Miranda Richardson's character, Judy, are kind of dispatched off stage. Yeah. And, and it's like the, the, we reference their passing in a very casual anecdotal way almost. Um, and it, it's, it's quite shocking because we've been following them. And then, um, and then he just mentions that Judy was, Judy was killed. Yeah. And he's living in a crappy apartment with a bunch of porn and plastic. Yeah, the the ending of this movie with the the passing of of culture is is, is kind of what what it boils down to. And any sort of overthrow, um, they always go for the highbrows. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of there's one great line in My Dinner with Andre where Andre Gregory says just very casually, uh, "Did you know that New York City is the model for the new concentration camp?" And it feels like that sort of is where this movie ends up as well. It's just kind of like vaguely dystopian, but it's all in the background and getting it just through the eyes of uh, that one character is just, it's really sad. It's really depressing. Yeah. The, the end when he finally goes through the, the morning that he's the last person essentially on the planet that even remembers the poems of John Donne. Right. Um, and he can't even understand them. And then um, his eyes water up. I mean, that that's, very effective it is this is a movie basically of the camera on just three people at any given one person at any given time oh yeah i wanted to talk about that because it seems like i think the camera work is very clever in this but it, a lot of it is just you know static camera mike mike nichols staring at you and talking to you but there are a couple times when it does something different or something flashy and it really stands out there's one moment when he is talking about the realization of how much he hated howard and he's just like so angry and the camera is going, uh, pulling slowly or quickly towards him and the music is swelling and you mm -hmm. only get a couple moments like that throughout the film, but they're all very powerful, very, uh, really effective directorial decisions. Yeah. I wonder, uh, during the play, if they were also playing that music, because that music does help set the tones, especially, um, with the, uh, wife daughter character of Judy. And some of her, uh, what she's talking, uh, whenever she's talking about, um, 10,000 or maybe 15,000 human remains were exhumed and mm -hmm. found like the, the, uh, music does a lot more work than I, I would expect from a play, but would anticipate in a movie. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so easy to get wrapped up in because Mike Nichols is the star of this and the thing that, you know, we're talking about and really the thing that you focus on while watching this movie. But I don't, I'm curious to see, cause they're only on, they're really not on screen that much, but the other two actors, what you guys think of their performances as well. Well, I, in the 1980s had a huge crush on Miranda Richardson from <laughs> playing Queenie on Blackadder the second. Oh, is that what she's from? Yeah, so uh, I have always been a fan of Miranda Richardson, and she's fantastic here. She has um, also has a TV and filmography and theater, whatever they call it, filmography for theaters. Resume? Resume? Playography? I don't know. Stageography? Yes. 
I stereography. Think I think that might be Hers- it. Yeah, yeah, fairly peerless. We're low uh, brows over here. Uh, she is she is amazing. And um, Howard, who um, David David DeKeys, David DeKaiser, the voice of Zardoz, and a bunch of other stuff. Like he's a voice, basically. Ton of voice work. Yeah, he was just a voice guy. And also a theater guy. He has a quite a stageography as well. There's one scene in this where one of the only scenes where he says anything, where he's like dying and or losing his mind and whatever, and Miranda Richardson is comforting him. You know a scene I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's I think earlier in the movie. And it stood out to me as being really awkwardly staged and the lines were poorly delivered. And at that point, I was like, okay, maybe these two just aren't very good or they're not very good compared to Mike Nichols. But as the movie, you know, after that scene, Miranda Richardson's great and they're both great. So I was wondering with that one specific scene, because it seems so poorly acted and almost pathetic if we're supposed to be seeing that from like Jack's point of view and like even uh, him dying and being confused on that bed is pathetic to him. The greater thing there even is that I mean, you can't really trust what any of the characters are saying. I mean, you take it with some, uh, you know, modicum of truth or a little skepticism because they will say they will relate events uh, differently as far as like timeline and uh, rationale, Mm. like the different times that Jack leaves the house. So it's curious in that scene, whether it seems like he uh, being Howard, the dad, the voice of Zardoz. Uh, I think he's like in Superman and some other stuff is the voice uh, is uh, if he is pretending to be losing his mind um, mm. or to get the daughter back in or not. So it's it's a little harder to say whether or not he's doing a great uh, job being a poor actor or he's just a mediocre actor. And that's yeah. I would go with the former just because I, I love this movie so much. Uh, Richardson is, is so great. Um Quite a, quite a bit younger than Nichols at the time, but a, a little bit of Nichols's resentment, I think, towards the highbrow. That's how we're designating him, right? Uh, because Nichols is part of that group, and as somebody said, he um, he doesn't have to worry about the rent and hasn't for most of his life. Um, but you think about his background and what his family coming over from Germany before you know World War II, uh, the fact that he had the the alopecia and he had a wear a wig and fake eyebrows every day for his entire adult life. Um, well, he didn't have to, but the, I, I think he is digging into something that is a bit resentful towards the world. He is such a part of. And the, and the sorrows there as well. I mean, just being part of escaping the genocide of Germany, but it's, it's I, one of my notes here is that it's remarkable that Igor Mikhail uh Uh-huh who came to the U S saying with like a few phrases, including please do not kiss me <laughs> is able to deliver the lines that we see in this film. What? 50 years later. Yeah. And, you know, given his, his lavish lifestyle and he basically made movies most of the nineties uh, with the possible exception of a few that he worked on with Elaine May, or maybe he was trying to get her money when she wrote the scripts for birdcage and primary colors. Um, Wait, I lost my train of thought. Oh, that you, you think about what Mike Nichols could have done as an actor 
were he not such an in-demand director? Because uh, a lot of the movies that we've talked about the last couple of weeks that he directed, I mean, I don't think any of us are huge fans of. Um, but you compare it to this movie and this performance, I mean, it's 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 a titanic performance. Maybe he'd only be able to play a quadriplegic because there is almost no, aside from a few hand gestures, there is no movement on the stage. Holy shit. I just had a great idea. Take the wig off, Professor X. Yes. I, you, you jumped ahead of me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know what? Shit, that's good. Uh, we've been, uh, the More fact like, that we had like the Luther. same... The same thought. I think we've been doing this podcast too long. He would have been great Lex Luthor too. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. Probably better than the other guy in the reboot. He who shall not be named. Oh, Facebook. Oh, Jesse Zuckerberg. Jesse Heisenberg. He was great. He's a great Lex oh, Luthor. Yeah. Come on. What? I, no, I, I was talking about our American beauty pal. Oh, Kevin, oh, Kevin Spacey? Spacey. He who shall not be named, oh. but also appeared very early on in some Mike Nichols dog. Also, uh, podcast actor. He was in L.A. Confidential. Oh, yeah, he right. was in L.A. Confidential. Yes. Yes. But and we... Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Holy shit. We just saw him in Postcards from the Edge. That's, no, oh, shit. Heartburn. Mm, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Yes, Heartburn. He, he, he was a, a philanderer that, that hit on Melanie Griffith in Working Girl. Um, I wonder how much coke they did after that that take. Probably a mountain. So could we talk about Nichols' recalcitrance? I had to look that up. Of um, distribution of the film version of this play? Because as we, we've discussed, we, we're all huge fans of this play and this film version of it and his performance. Um, he didn't really want it distributed, particularly in America. And he didn't want to Whoa. do the play on, on Broadway. Well, I I think that it, I mean, from what I read in the biography, I think it's like, uh, you know, how our podcast here was originally intended for teaching English in Belarus. Um, and then we started getting sponsorships and there was the whole fiasco. And, Cut that out. I mean, you can't mention them anymore. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it just, he, uh, it took it. You know, like our like our podcast is just spiraling out of, out of control now. Um, I think he w- had the foresight to uh, to try and nix it. Well, can, can I read the David Hare quote about that from Life Isn't Everything? I mean, you're going to, so why'd you ask? I wish I could do it in a British accent. When the BBC wanted to distribute the film, he didn't want it to be distributed. And most of all, he didn't want it to be distributed in America. It had already been sold to America, but he did absolutely nothing to support it and wouldn't. Whereas when it was a play in London, he supported it 100%. He wanted it to remain an experiment that he had conducted in London. Later, Mike was being honored at the American Film Institute, AFI, and he asked me to go. I didn't say anything to him, but I thought, you've shown clips of all your movies, and yet you won't show a clip of one of the greatest acting performances I've ever seen. He didn't want to own it as part of his legacy. What's that about? I have absolutely no idea. But obviously, it was incredibly hurtful to me and to Wally, Wallace Shawn. He was never anything but completely congenial and friendly and loving and sweet and charming to us. But he just didn't want to be seen in that work on his home turf. He was a complex man. Other actors, Christopher Walken, murderer, Meryl Streep, (laughs) (laughs) studied that film and were late 
that we later made because they say, how the hell does he do it? Wow. I wonder if it's because of like what you're saying with all the, the personal stuff in Germany and what. Well, no, thought. here's what Mike Nichols said to Mark Harris in the Mike, Mark Harris book. The film didn't make me happy, he said. The play was very a very specific event between the three of us actors and the living audience. I played a monster who was able to charm the audience, and just as they began to realize he was a monster, he could get them to laugh one more time. During that process, they began to wonder if they were any way like this monster, which is both the purpose of the play and the fun of the performance. If you take that away, the film is not a complete record of the play. The play was an experience. Hmm. Holy I, shit. I disagree because I got we we just been talking for a half hour about the play, and that's exactly what we've kind of been saying. Jeez. You're a monster? No. No, <laughs> but his his what he says the play was is essentially what the film was and how it affected me as a viewer. Yeah. Same. Um so maybe he he didn't have enough distance from it and all he could see was which day his wig was a little differently glued on. I don't know. Maybe he saw something I didn't. Yeah, it would be interesting to really like go over it and study it. And I w- I really wish like if I had a time machine, I would really want to go back and see one of the live performances. Well, you'd also need a plane ticket and a passport, Jack, because it was happening in England. Oh, London. I don't know. In well, maybe because of the axis of the earth, if you actually like had a time machine, you'd just end up in space because the earth wouldn't be in the same place. Oh, can you either of you do a Meryl Streep impersonation? Um, Absolutely not. Fuck. I wait. Okay. She also, she which also accent. Cause she is. Famous oh, that's for... right. I'll just do it in the, the accent she has in the angels in America as the rabbi. No, I won't do that. <laughs> oh no, probably not. <laughs> We're going forward a little bit. No, that's next week. Um, she said, Mike about the, the movie, Mike suppressed it for years and went to great lengths to keep it out of circulation here in the United States. I don't know why, maybe because he just didn't like to look at himself. A lot of actors share this reluctance. It was so naked, absolutely riveting and upsetting and funny and, well, just like life. Mike in that just blew me away. It's some of the best acting I've ever seen any man do, and he barely even moves. But it's so lived in and naked and canny, it really made me understand something about him. Wow. We should have just had her on to explain this movie. Um yeah, so it, it, if you are listening to this and you are intrigued by this, uh, hunt it down or send us a DM, and we I have can, a, we have a copy. And uh, not that we're gonna, it. not that we're gonna break any any laws, but I can rip the DVD into a digital copy and email it to you. I wouldn't do that, but I could. We could also take your driver's license if you're if you're a registered driver uh, or some other form of government issued ID and a check. For a deposit and then return it to you when you return the DVD. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Or we could just take one of your kids or one of your dogs. Uh, but this week on social media, we are, we are going to be pushing that this gets a, a re-release from the BBC. I will yeah. tag them in every single post. Oh, shit. Uh, Wait, wouldn't that be dishonoring Mike Nichols' legacy? Because he didn't... He's gone. He's gone. He his. It's Wait, part, I think it's, it's part of his legacy. And I think David Hare was in Wallace Shawn or Wally. On first name basis, yep. Um, they they were right to be upset that one of the crowning achievements of his careers. of both his film and um, theatrical work was an acting performance that Mike Nichols didn't want people to see. I think that's I think that's badass. I think that's awesome. He was like, "This performance is so great that no one's ever going <laughs> to see it." Like, I respect that. I really, I really do. 
I really do. And um, yeah, I just one really quickly wanted to say My Dinner with Andre, also totally worth watching. One of my favorite movies, probably top 10 for me. And Louis Maul did the film version, Uncle Vanya on 42nd Street, that uh, Wallace Shawn did a translation for. And I think Andre Gregory may have been a part of the theatrical production. Yes, he was. Uh, quick, um, quick sidebar, should I avoid Master Builder? What? No, you want to go with the um, the one about the the guy who can bait fish. I don't understand that uh, either of uh, you are yeah. saying. Anyway, one of the strengths of my dinner with Andre is that it's an hour and 50 minutes of people, two people sitting around talking and mostly telling stories, right? But thinking about the film years after having seen it, you can picture the exact sequences they're describing in your head. Like there's a sequence where he's at um, some sort of acting retreat and they're running out through the fields mm-hmm. at night and shit. And you, I can like picture that in my head as if it was a filmed sequence, but it's just how good the writing and the acting is. And I think the designated mourner is so worth watching because it's exactly the same way. You can picture the scene where, you know, he's at the party and he tries hooking up with that younger chick. And then Howard walks in. Like you can picture all of that as if it was actually filmed, but it's just yeah. how good of a storyteller, both, I guess, Wallace Shawn and David Hare and Mike Nichols were and are. Yeah. Those that are still alive. Yes. David Hare writes a lot for uh, BBC. Wrote a couple of mystery shows. Anything good? Yeah. yeah. If you like BBC mysteries. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's come back. Um, with uh, So we'll take Nichols out of the film and uh-huh. put Dominic Purcell in, maybe? <laughs> oh, are we doing what? what are we doing? <laughs> he, he would do the incel hobbit. What, what's that guy's name? From um, yes. Rampage. Yes, he would, he would take the Rampage guy and it would be like a filmed, it would be like a... like A, a uh, shaky YouTube video. Yeah, shaky well, like social live stream. I was thinking <laughs> that he would make it like a musical uh because it has to have a uh you know a uh video game title so it'd be dance dance revolution <laughs> and then they would just over over the beats read their the, the soliloquies while people were running around shooting other people oh uh, you know it'd be great is after the the end when um uh jack is mourning the loss of of all all culture that he can't even remember or understand himself uwe bull actually comes in and says that's right only thing left are my movies. <laughs> yeah. And he puts on, puts on some gloves and says, you got a problem with that? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think the line that Jack delivers, I guess I've always been a low brow at heart could be like, uh, on the tombstone of bull. <laughs> oh, whatever. Harsh man. Uh, bull's yeah. got a lot of years left in him. Probably Jack after he's done, like he's crying at the end. He would probably, Instead, like sniffle and then wipe away his tears and say, "Enough mourning, time for justice." And he'd cock a shotgun, and then it would say, uh, "Brendan Fletcher will return in the designated mourner two between two worlds." Who's mourning now? Yes, yeah, he would definitely go in, and there'd be something with a bunch of highbrows, and he'd kill them all. That sounds about right. Yeah. Are there any Google reviews for this movie? There's not, but we have a couple good Letterboxd ones. Oh, so um, Letterboxd, which you can find in the show notes, Jack and myself. Um, for this movie, there were nine reviews of it. 
Yeah. Prior to Jack and I adding our two cents. Yeah. In total, 117 people have seen this. The movie. least amount watched of any movie I've ever encountered that I've watched on, on Letterboxd. Even UA Bowl films. Correct. Yeah. Brent gives it three stars and says, my dinner with Mike Nichols staring directly at the camera. Leviel Pert says, Mike gives a great performance, but the way he said fucking bitch gave me a bit of a laugh. Yeah. And then Dan O'Neill gives it two and a half stars and <gasps> says, instead of directing crap like what planet are you from and regarding Henry, Mike Nichols should have just kept acting. Huh. That's a weird review. So they're dinging him for his mo- for his directorial efforts in a movie that he didn't direct. Did he not like the movie? I, I guess not. Do you want me to do you want me to leave a comment? Do you did, want me to harass did, this did, guy? Did he just do that to to ding on Mike Nichols' filmography? He might have watched the entire movie just so he could leave a, a disparaging review. Can you reply to him and, and say that's lowbrow? <laughs> can I can? Um, Dan O'Neill, we're coming for you. Was that your name? Yes. <laughs> You know what it is, O'Neill, he's probably Irish, and he was mad that this play didn't come to Ireland, and he couldn't go to London to see it. Oh. He was probably drunk when he wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the best movies we've watched for the podcast, and I think it might be the best, maybe the best first watch that I've I've done for the for the pod so far. I yeah, I love I love this movie, and I'm glad we got the DVD, because it's definitely gonna be a regular rewatch because there's a lot to let's unpack this you know yeah there's there's a lot to to unpack i actually uh wanted to watch it again the next day but thomas took the dvd i i could if you give me a state issued uh form of identification and a check for twenty dollars i can send it to you how about if we just give you our puppy as collateral she's pretty cute but i do like my shoelaces and shoes (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Yeah. yeah. And soon probably to be glasses and socks and Oh, she's already on socks, man. She oh, loves yeah. a sock. Yeah, she runs around with socks in her mouth. It's disgusting. Oh no. <laughs> I'm I'm having flashbacks to heartburn. Let's quit talking about socks and wrap this up, guys. There must be millions of them out there. Just single pairs of socks. What's the deal with missing socks anyway? Oh no. Am I right, guys? Whew. Boy. Uh, so this was an interlude between uh, movies Mike Nichols actually directed. And next episode, we will tackle the long-promised Angels in America, um, which is – you could watch it before then. It's six episodes on HBO Max. It's essentially two three-hour movies, so probably best to watch it. One, two, three. Actually, I, I think it more as three two-hour movies. Okay. Ooh. Well, math. We're going to argue about this. I can tell. Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, yeah, for Angels in America, which I don't know how many how many views does that have on Letterboxd. Probably, I think a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's going to be super fun. I'm excited to start watching that, which I haven't. Again, yet. if you're interested in watching The Designated Mourner, it's a masterpiece, one of the best performances you will ever see. Um, go ahead and uh, drop us a line um, or um, tag the BBC to get it released. Yeah. Again. On streaming services. 17,000 views. Oh, that's quite a bit more than the 117 17. Yeah. for Designated more. Yeah. Two of those being us. Anyway, yep. Uh, thanks for listening to this special app. Um, 
you can find us. I guess all the links are in the. Oh, let whatever. me let me light this uh, paper that my cake came in. Oh yeah, that's from the movie. You would know that if you saw it, but yeah, we need to get a wider release. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, and catch you on the next one. Bye, Thomas. Thank you. Bye, guys. All right, we are the designated potters. <laughs> <laughs> so